0: Welcome to Northridge. Happy New Year. For two of you, it is apparently. I'm so glad that you guys are here. I want to welcome those of you that are in a gross seal, those of you that are in Brighton, those of you that are watching online. We're so um, just grateful that you'd be with us. If you're a guest here today, wow, we're just honored that you would start the new year with us. My name is Pete. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Northridge, and uh, we're kind of beginning um, a series of messages we're gonna do the next couple weekends talking about faith, because I think this is one of the most important elements that we can kind of wrestle with and see how to apply to our lives as we go into a new year. Um, I read a really interesting study the other day, and I love, I'm a big, like, I love stats, and I love uh, just anything that has to do with kind of sociology, and studying people. And I thought this was an interesting study where researchers discovered that the single most expressed emotion on just a day-to-day basis is the expression of love, which kind of makes sense if you think about it throughout the course of your day. Maybe you express love to one of your kids or to a spouse or maybe to a friend or even to a a coworker, right? It's the expression of care, the expression of love. That's the number one expressed emotion just on a day-to-day basis. What was really interesting to me though was what came in second. And the second most expressed, commonly expressed emotion just on a day-to-day basis was regret. People express regret a lot. They would say things like, you know, I wish I would have shown up on time. I wish I would have taken that job. Uh, I wish I hadn't eaten that. Um, I wish I would have asked her out. I wish I would have never asked her out um, right I, I I wish I would have taken that chance I wish i hadn't spent that money like we could go on and on and on and on right we express regret on a regular Basis, and that's also interesting to me, especially this time of year, because a lot of us are thinking about New Year's resolutions. You're thinking about New Year's goals. Um, just a quick kind of survey of hands here uh, at all of our locations. If you made at least one New Year's resolution or one kind of new goal, if you will, for 2020, raise your hand right now. All right, good. Like a good number of you. I am. I, I love goals. I love resolutions. I have nothing against any of that. What's interesting to me is that a lot of our goals are kind of counter-react regrets that we've had from either the last year or maybe even the year before that. So the surveys show that this year some of the top New Year's resolutions, number one, is manage finances better. Uh, It's not surprising for a lot of us. We're like, yeah, that makes sense. I would want to manage my finances better. Why, though? Because you probably have some regret over how you've managed them in your past. And you think to yourself, wow, I wish I'd have started investing much earlier in life. Or I wish I hadn't spent so much money on that particular thing last year, right? That was a, that was a waste. It counteracts a regret. Um, number two is eat healthier, right? Why, why? Because a lot of us have regret over the stuff that we ate last year. We're like, ah, oh, that wasn't good for me. It didn't make me feel good. I don't, I don't, I don't want to do that again. But often our promises, our resolutions are counteracting a regret that we've had. Now regret is, regret has a unique sting to it, right? All, all disappointment hurts and stings, but regret has a unique sting because along with regret, essentially what you're saying is, um, it's, it's not just, I wish things had turned out differently, It's, I know things would have turned out differently had I done something different. You follow me? With regret, there's a personal responsibility in that you know it could have been much different if you would have done something different. That's why it's things more than other forms of disappointment. Right? Like, um, any New England Patriot fans at all? I would just bring this up just casually because they happened to play my Tennessee Titans last night in the playoffs, right? Now, if, if, if you're a new England, Patriots fan, a Tom Brady fan, right? Today, you, you might have disappointment in the way your season ended and I wouldn't blame you, right? You may have disappointment, but you don't have regret. Why? Because there's nothing you could have done last night to have helped your team beat my Tennessee Titans, There's nothing. So you have disappointment, but you don't have regret. You you see the difference between the two? Regret has this unique sting because there's a personal responsibility attached. The Bible, by the way, is full of regret. From the very beginning, Adam and Eve have regret over eating the fruit. Esau has regret over trading his birthright for a bowl of food. There's Samson, who has deep regret over sharing his secret, which then leads to him losing his strength. David would have regret over having an affair with Bathsheba and having her husband killed. Peter has deep regret in the New Testament after he denies Jesus three times, and he's like, what was I thinking? Why did I do that? That's regret. That, it's, a, it's a unique pain that comes along with the fact that things could have been much different if you would have done something different. And I'll be honest, I have a lot of regret in my life. Um, I don't have the time to like share all of it with you, but if we ever get the chance to like have a cup of coffee or something, I have no problem because I feel like I learn a lot from the things that I regret in my past. And it shaped a lot of how I live my life now. But there's a category of regret in my life that kind of seems to stand out. And if I had to put like a category on this particular area of regret, I I would create the category of lack of faith. I have a ton of regret looking back on my life that falls under the category of lack of faith. Now, it's not that I don't have any faith, but when I look at my life, I feel like there are many moments that I completely missed out because I didn't have more faith. See, if you're a Christian If you're a believer in Jesus and and if you're not there yet and you're here and you're just kind of exploring things and trying to figure out what, is the Bible real? Is it not real? What about this Jesus thing? Hey, we are so glad you're here. Like keep coming, keep asking questions, keep investigating. It's a safe place to do that here. But if you are a Christian and you're a believer in Jesus, then you have some element of faith. You have to, it's a prerequisite, right? You have to have faith in a God that you've never seen. You have to have faith in an event that you weren't present for, which was Jesus's death on a cross for the forgiveness of your sins, right? So you have some element of faith inside of you. But I have found for a lot of us as Christians, that's as far as it ever goes. That's about as much faith as we're able to muster up. We're like, yep, uh, that, my faith muscle is done. Like I believe in a God I can't see in an event that I did not attend. That's about all I have and it kind of stops there and it stalls in that moment. So you have an element of faith, but what I want to propose is that the faith that God calls us to is a faith that goes far beyond that. Read through scripture. Read about guys like Abraham and Moses. Read about women like Ruth. You, you read about these people who have a tremendous amount of faith. How about Esther? Like, and we almost put them at a superhuman status as if they had, they were born with some kind of faith like gene that the rest of us don't have that allowed them to do these amazing things for God. They're like some kind of elite group. But I think the reality is that this is something that God wants from all of us. Hebrews chapter 11, verse six says, and without faith, it's impossible to please God. That's a pretty big statement, right? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. In other words, like, this faith thing is not just some get-out-of-hell-free card. It's a lot more than that. It is a vital building block in our relationship with our Heavenly Father. And it's also a vital building block into the kind of life that I think most of you desire. A lot of you, over the past couple weeks, you've had conversations with friends, with families, have gone something like this. You've said, I think 2020 is going to be much better than 2019, right? You're like, like I, just, I just feel like this next year is gonna be a good year. You've said things like, I, I, I want more out of life. I don't wanna get to the end of next year and be at the same place that I am today. Like, I want more. And, and that more that I think is intuitively inside of a lot of us where we're like, you know what? Life, uh, it's okay, but I, I, I sense. That God has more for me. That, that intuitive thing that we have in our heart and our spirit, that more that we want, comes when we begin to live with this bigger faith. And I've thought a lot, uh, it was Friday, I was kind of, annually I'll sit down and I kind of write out goals for my life in different categories, and so I'll split it up in the physical and mental and spiritual and financial, and I kind of create these different categories in this grid because I'm real visual, and then I'll start kind of filling them in, and then it started hitting me because I heard so many people talking about, like, it's a new decade, right, and I'm like, well, that's a lot of pressure. Like, I feel like I can, you know, I plan for a year, I'm good, but a decade, like, that, that's a lot, but then I started thinking, okay, I don't necessarily want to plan specific goals for the next decade, but I would like to have kind of a vision statement, for the next decade. Like overall, what do I wanna see happen in my life in the next 10 years? And I just kinda jotted down, I wanna accomplish ridiculously amazing things with God and I wanna inspire a community of people to do the same. Like in the next 10 years, success for me will be coming alongside God and seeing some ridiculous things happen in my life and also inspiring the people that God allows me to do community with to do the same thing. Now, the question is, uh, how does that happen? And I think I wanna show us today in a very practical way. So it's, faith is one of those things, right? It's, it's really hard to talk about. It's really easy for a pastor to stand up here and tell you, you should have more faith. It, it's really hard in a practical way to how do you develop that faith muscle in your life. Um, and so I'm gonna do that today by talking about a guy out of the Bible by the name of Joshua. If you'll give me just a few minutes, I'm gonna kind of walk through his life because um, if you see the trajectory of his life and then you see some real basic principles or practices that he had, I think there's some uh, real practical takeaways that you can have from this story, all right? So it's Old Testament. There's a guy by the name of Joshua. Um, quick history. Joshua uh, is born as an Israelite into slavery, captivity under Egypt. So remember, there's this 400 years of slavery. Joshua was born into that towards the tail end of that. So Joshua is alive when God sets them free and Moses leads them out of the uh, Egyptian captivity. Right. So, so Joshua was one of the Israelites who got to cross the Red Sea when God split the Red Sea. So that's Joshua. Joshua is one of them who's walking across on dry land. He's looking up the water on both sides and he's like, wow, this is amazing. He's with them on their journey as they're discovering what freedom looks like. Joshua's with them. Joshua's there when everybody gets hungry and they're all complaining that they don't have any food and God miraculously supplies them with manna. Right? Joshua got to see that firsthand. He was a part of that community. He's a part of that group. All this is shaping his mind. It's shaping his heart of who this God of the universe actually is. He was also there because over time what happened is uh, Joshua has some real unique leadership skills, And he was just faithful. And so he kind of rises in the ranks and he becomes Moses' assistant, which is a pretty big deal. And there's that day that the Israelites get to the edge of the land that God has for them. It's called the promised land. And they're there. It's theirs for the taking. And Moses sends 12 spies in to check it out. Like, let's just check it out. Let's see what it's going to look like. Make sure it's everything we think it is. Make sure it's safe. He sends the 12 spies in. You remember the 12 spies come back. And the 12 spies are like, it is more than we ever imagined. But we can't go in. And Moses and all the people are like, what do you, what do you mean? We, we, this is the land God has for us. Why can't we go in? They're like, it's too dangerous. There's like giants in there walking around. Like, they'll, they'll, they will crush us. And there's only two out of the 12 spies who stood up, Joshua and another guy by the name of Caleb. And they said, you know what? We actually think we can do this, not in our own power, but because of God's power. And if this is the life that God's called us to, if this is the land that he wants for us, we can do this. But they went with the majority, they chose fear and they retreated. They retreated behind their hiding place. Now, here's kind of like our first lesson, all right? Hang with me here. Everybody has a hiding place. So you're going to have moments. Sometimes they're weekly, monthly. Maybe it's every three or four months, just depending on who you are and the life you live. But you're going to have these moments. I call them faith-filled moments. These are moments where usually it feels like you're thrust into them. Rarely do we choose them, right? You're kind of thrust into this moment where this moment requires more than you have. It requires maybe more intelligence than you have, more skill than you have, more resources than you have, more strength than you have. But what you know is in this moment, you feel something inside of you that says, I don't know if I can do this, right? It is a faith-filled moment. You're called into that moment. Some of you might be there right now. When you're called into a faith-filled moment, I believe every human being has a temptation to run somewhere, to hide Right, for some of you, what you run to is insecurity. So every time you're called into a faith-filled moment, you know what you do? You start spinning off things like, oh, I, 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 I can't do this, like I, I'm not good enough. I, I don't have enough experience. I don't have enough resources. I'm not a good enough dad. I'm not a good enough mom. I'm, I'm not a good enough spouse. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. You, you run and you hide behind the insecurity. Um, for some of you, when you're called into your faith-filled moment, For you, what you hide behind, what you run to is shame. So there's something you did in your past, or maybe something that was done to you in your past that makes you feel like you're not worthy. You know exactly what I'm talking about, right? And it haunts you, and it's like this shadow you can't get rid of. And every time you come into a faith-filled moment, where it requires more than you have, you shrink back, because you just think I'm not qualified. Because that happened to me. Because I did that. I God, God could never use me. Some of you hide behind someday. That's where you run. It's a faith-filled moment. It requires a lot. Uh, I call this fake courage because you actually sound like you're open to stepping into your faith filled moment but actually you're hiding behind someday so you'll be like oh yeah yeah that's i'm going to do that absolutely next week amen right or next month or when i graduate or when the kids leave home or when i'm making more money or when i get that job or like it's always yeah you know, i'm going to do that someday you hide behind someday some of you it's just fear you just hide behind fear right and 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 fear will always Define the limits of your life. So if you fear heights, you stay low, right? You fear outside, you'll stay inside. You fear people, you'll stay alone. If you fear failure, you just won't try. Which, by the way, is exactly what the Israelites did in their faith-filled moments. They hid behind the fear of failure. What did they always do? They would spin off these worst-case scenarios. Oh, there's giants in there, and they're going to crush us. Yeah, but that's the land God's called us to. It doesn't matter, we're gonna die. Like, it's always, right? Spinning off these worst case scenarios. By the way, can I I just say this to encourage somebody here right now that's struggling with the fear of failure? Don't fear failure. Don't fear failure. Fear being in the exact same place next year that you are today. Fear that. Don't, Don't fear failure. Listen, every opportunity in your life has an expiration date. And the cost of missing out is usually a lot more than the cost of messing up. This moment for the Israelites had an expiration date. They hid behind fear and they lost the opportunity in that moment to cross into the land that God had for them and it resulted in what? 40 years of wandering. And what's interesting to me is Joshua gets caught up in that. Joshua gets caught up and has to live out 40 years of wandering based on the faithless people around him. Now, this is really convicting for me. I don't really have time to even get into this point, but I I think it's really important. um, If you're a parent or you have family members or you have a close community around you, uh, other people can actually suffer when you run away from your faith-filled moment. They're impacted by that. There's like shrapnel that crosses into other people's lives and they're impacted by whether we step into our faith-filled moment or not. Joshua's impacted and he has to endure the mistakes of the faithless people around them. Years go by, decades go by. Moses dies, guess what happens? Joshua is now in charge and he is dead set. He's like, I am not going to allow my people, my community to keep repeating the same mistakes that we've been repeating for decades. Like I'm not going to allow us to run away every time we face something that's daunting. And so Joshua steps into leadership and it, I mean, it's a blast from day one, right? The very first thing that they face is a Jordan river and God calls them to cross this Jordan river, except for the Jordan river is flooded. And God says, Joshua, I want you to do it anyway. And Joshua's like, okay, great. Why don't you dry up the flooded river and we'll walk across it? And I was like, nope, that's not the way it's gonna work, Joshua. Joshua, I want you to start walking towards the flooded river. And once you put a couple feet in there, eh, I'll make a way. It's like this power along the way. It's like saying, Joshua, you've been waiting for your faith-filled moment. Here it is. Are you gonna take it? And they do. They step into the Jordan and it separates and they go across And they get across and you're thinking, oh, well now it's gonna be easy going, all right? Because they trusted God. No, then they face the people of Jericho who are inside of this gigantic wall. And God says to Joshua, hey, I've got a plan. Don't worry. Here's what I want you to do. Day one, why don't you take the army, right? Why don't y'all just march around the wall one time? Joshua's like, all right. They march around the wall one time. God's like, great job. Joshua's like, what's next? He's like, "Ah, I'll tell you tomorrow. Next day, Joshua, I got an idea. Why don't you march around the wall again? This happens for six days. God says to Joshua, just march around the wall. And then on the seventh day, God says, Joshua. Joshua's like, I know, march around the wall. He's like, no, I got a new plan. You're going to march around the wall seven times today. And he marches around the wall seven times, and the entire thing falls in on Jericho. It's an unbelievable miracle. My little takeaway in that is that big moves of God are almost always preceded by obedience to him in the small things. Like some of you are looking for some huge, like, miracle in your life. And the reality is God's just calling you to be obedient just in these small things. And when you're obedient to him in the small things, it's amazing how often, all of a sudden, that miracle just kind of happens, but let me take you to what I think is one of the most unbelievable moments in Joshua's life. It's Joshua chapter 10. In the beginning of Joshua 10, we read that there's these five opposing Amorite armies who are planning an attack, and Joshua decides he's going to go on the offensive against them first, and so they plan this sneak attack, and so they travel all night long. While they're traveling, uh, God speaks to Joshua and says essentially, Joshua, don't be afraid of them, God was always saying this to Joshua, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. And I like that, it gives me hope because I think that even though Joshua was stepping into these faith-filled moments, I think the human part of Joshua had to have been scared to death most of the time. That's why God so many times was saying to him, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. See, I think we think that this big faith-filled life is saved for people who have this tremendous amount of courage. It's not. It's saved for people who will be obedient and trust God. You know, I get scared all the time before every time I speak, I get scared to death. Like, like really scared. Like, I can't tell you how many times I have stood backstage and seconds before I have this feeling inside of me that says, run to the parking lot. You know, (laughs) act like you're sick, pass out, do something, right? But whatever you do, don't walk out there because that is not safe out there, right? There's something inside of me. I get so nervous and you can ask them back there. I just, when it's my thing when I get nervous is I talk and I distract. I'm also scared of needles. So when I'm like getting a shot or my blood taken, they're, they always they're like, are like, are you okay? I'm like, yep, I'm okay. I'm gonna look over this way and let's just talk about my life. Ask me 20 questions, go. And like, I just need distraction. I am not naturally a courageous person. I don't think Joshua was naturally a courageous person. I think that's why God always is in such a kind way saying, Joshua, don't be afraid. I know this looks really daunting. Don't be afraid. Like, trust me. Trust me. So here's Joshua, and he's leading. They're going through the middle of the night. They're going to su- surprise. Um, The Amorites that do the sneak attack right at dawn, they do it, it's tremendously successful. They're having great success all day long, right? They're driving back, they're having so much success that the Amorite army starts to retreat. They start to run. But now it's starting to get dark. And they realize if it gets dark, they're probably going to get away. And I think this is a crucial point because what are you gonna do about that? right? If I'm Joshua, I'm thinking, well, shoot, we did all we could do. We had a great strategy. We did a surprise attack at dawn. We did really well in battle. And now they're going to get away because it's getting dark. And now they're probably going to regroup and we're going to have to come up with a new strategy. But we did everything, right? I mean, we tried really hard, but Joshua knew in his heart, this isn't the way it was supposed to end. And so Joshua offers up one of the craziest prayers I have ever heard in my life. It's in Joshua chapter 10. This is what happens. It says, On the day that the Lord gave the Israelites victory over the Amorites, Joshua prayed to the Lord in front of all the people, by the way. Let me just pause right there. Like, if you're about to pray a big, bold prayer, I know if I am, like, I'm going to do it in my own private area, right? You know, I'm like, I'm not going to pray it in front of you guys. If I do, I'm at Buffalo, you know, a little bit. But like, he's going to pray this prayer in front of everybody. He says this, let the sun stand still over Gibeon and the moon over the valley of Ajalon. He essentially prays, God, hey, um, could you just freeze time? Like just freeze time. So the sun stood still and the moon stayed in place until the nation of Israel had defeated its enemies. That, that's a bold prayer. That's a really bold prayer. Hey God, would you freeze time? Would the sun stand still? Now, here's my question for you going into 2020. And I think this is more important than any single resolution that you've written down so far. What is your sun stand still prayer? What is the miracle that you need to see God do in your life or in your family's life this year? What is the prayer that if I asked you right now to stand up and say it out loud, you would almost be embarrassed because it just seems too far-fetched? What is your sun stand still prayer? For some of you, it's, 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 man, God, um, I need you to heal my marriage. And some of you are thinking, oh Pete, that's a great prayer, but you don't know my marriage. You don't know what we're in. You don't know what we've been through. You don't know how far gone it is. Maybe for somebody here, your son stands still, um, prayer is just, God, help me with this addiction. Give me the strength to overcome this. And some of you are like, yeah, yeah, that's that's great, Pete, but listen, I've been addicted to painkillers for four years. I've been through treatment twice. I've learned to manage it. I'm never gonna get freedom from it, but I've learned to manage it. For some of you, maybe it's an addiction to food that just seems so overpowering to you. It controls your life and you wanna pray that prayer, but you've just been through that cycle of trying and failing and trying and failing so many times that it's exhausting to think about doing it again. Maybe for some of you, your sun stand still prayer is just, God, we need help with our finances. Or maybe I need healing from this disease. I, I, don't, I don't know what your sun stand still prayer is, but I bet there's a bunch of you that have something on your heart right now, some area of your life where you need God to do a miracle. And so let's, let's forget the whole new year, new you mantra. All right, let's, let's take it up a notch and say, no, this is a new decade with a new outlook and the new outlook is going to be what seems impossible to me is not remotely difficult for God what seems impossible with me is not remotely difficult for God and so I'm going to trust him now I know what some of you are thinking and this is true uh some of you are thinking uh Pete I don't even know how to pray a sun stand still prayer. Like, that's not me. Like, I don't have the kind of faith that Joshua had. Like, I I, I don't pray those kind of prayers. In fact, I really don't even pray at all. Like, so I don't don't even really know where to start to how you develop that kind of faith. And and that's okay, I get it. Like, I've, I've had those seasons, long seasons, where I felt the same way, where I didn't have that kind of faith to honestly and authentically pray that kind of prayer. So then I have to ask, when I look at a story like Joshua, how did he have that? Because again, I don't buy into this idea that some people are just born with more faith than others. Or some people are born with more courage than others. I don't, I don't believe that. Where does it come from? And I'm going to show you just one last passage that I've read hundreds and hundreds of times, but for some reason never really saw this one little thing in there, which I think is the secret to why Joshua could pray a sun stand still prayer authentically. It's Exodus chapter 33. It's actually a passage that's about Moses, but you see one little line about Joshua, all right? Let me read it to you, Exodus 33. It says, it was Moses' practice To take the tent of meeting and to set it up some distance from the camp, everyone who wanted to make a request of the Lord would go to the tent of the meeting outside of the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent of meeting, all the people would get up and stand in the entrances of their own tents. They would all watch Moses until he disappeared inside. As he went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and hover over its entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. And when the people saw the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they would stand and bow down in front of their own tents. Inside the tent of the meeting, I love this part, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Afterwards, Moses would return to the camp. Why would Moses return to the camp? Because he's a leader and he's got busy things to do. Right. Moses is like, I got to get back to the camp. I'm I'm running this deal. Right? I got some meetings to go to. I have some fires to put out. Like I've got, you know, I got to get the cabinet together. We got to talk about this problem and that problem and 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 I'm sure somebody, you know, important wants to have tea. Did they have tea? I don't know if they had tea. I don't know. They, you know, once they get together and chat, whatever, have coffee. Uh, surely they had coffee, right? Uh, so um, he, he's thinking about all these things that he has to do, important things, right? And so it says, afterwards, Moses would return to the camp. But the young man who assisted him, Joshua, son of Nun, would remain behind in the tent of the meeting. Joshua's like... Hey, Moses, yeah, you go do all the important things that you think that you need to do. I think the most important thing for me right now would be to stay right here in the presence of God. I just need to be here, figuring out more and more about who he is and how he loves me and how he's created me and what he wants for my life. So you go do all the things you got to do. I'm going to stay right here. See, here's the secret. Contact with the Creator is essential for faith-filled living. Contact with the Creator is essential for faith-filled living. Don't, Don't try to copy Joshua who stood up in front of the nation and prayed that the sun would stand still. Copy Joshua who knew how important it was to put himself in environments where the presence of the Lord was there so that over time he could be filled with the kind of faith to pray a sun stand still kind of prayer. That's what we're looking for. What are the practices? What are the routines that we need in our life to put ourselves in the presence of God? Obviously, coming to church, right? It's, 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 it's hard to be gathering here at Northridge, right? And having this incredible worship together and looking at God's word together and, and what it does for us. But it's not the only place, right? In your car on the way to work? While your kids are taking a nap? Like, what are the environments? What are the opportunities you have where you're putting yourself in the environment where you feel the presence of the Lord so that your faith is growing up? I love... Um, I think it was New Year's Day, Pastor Brad put up an Instagram. I don't know if you follow him on Instagram or not. You should, because it's so cool. Like even when he's not like up here preaching, like he's preaching like through Instagram. Like I put up pictures of mini horses and stuff like that, but not Brad, he's dropping wisdom nuggets all over the place. So um, on New Year's Day, he had this great post just talking about going into the new year. And I'll boil it down for you. He essentially said, I'm praying each day, he said, for myself. And I'm also praying for each one of you that we'll take advantage of opening the door to Jesus in our lives. And then he gave this verse, Revelation 3.20. I'll read it to you. It says this, here I am. I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person, and they with me. Again, here's this invitation, right? Here's Jesus saying, hey, I'm here. All you got to do is open the door, and I want to have fellowship with you. I want to have community with you, and it's in that presence, it's in that community, it's in that fellowship that our faith begins to build up. And this invitation, friends, is not for certain people. It's for all the people. Open the door, not to religion. Open the door, not to a set of ideals. Open the door, not to a list of rules. Open the door to Jesus. Get to a place where you can trust him enough to offer your sun standstill prayers. And that doesn't mean that he's going to answer every one of your prayers in the way that you want him to. But it means that you trust him enough that he knows more about your dreams and your hopes than even you do. See, I really believe. I really believe that for some of you, this is a sun standstill kind of year. This is going to be the kind of year where you learn to trust God in ways that in the past has absolutely scared you to death. Because what seems impossible to you is not remotely difficult for Him. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. We thank you for the beginning of a new year, for the beginning of a new decade. Um, We're grateful for what you're doing in our lives. We're grateful that you care enough about us that you usher us into these faith-filled moments where we have the opportunity to trust you or to not, to believe in you or not, to surrender or to not. And God, I really believe that there are some people in this place today who deep down inside of their heart, they have a desperate sun standstill still prayer and it sounds crazy. So crazy, they probably would never say it out loud, but God, it is there. And they feel it and they sense it and they wanna pray it. God, I pray that first and foremost that you would help them find moments that they could be in your presence maybe this moment is just one of those moments where they're in your presence and they're feeling your presence and even as we speak right now you are filling their heart up with faith they feel stronger than they have felt in a really long time God help us to find places where we can choose to be in your presence because I believe that it is out of that overflow the overflow of being in your presence that's where there's some people in this room who are gonna cross across the Jordan River that's where Out of the overflow of your presence, we're gonna march around the wall and we're gonna see it fall. It's out of the overflow of your presence, Father, that we will ask the sun to stand still and it will be still. Not because of us, but because what seems impossible to us is not remotely difficult for you. God, we love you. We thank you for ushering in this new season of our lives. For it's in your name we pray, amen. All right, a couple things real quick, very important. Uh, most of you got a program when you came in. As you know, there's a connection card that's in there. There's so much information on that connection card and great ways that you can connect with us. Maybe you opened your life, your heart uh, to Jesus for the first time today. You can mark that on there. That's super important. We'd love to know about that and how we can encourage you. And then the other thing I think is really important, especially as we talk about sun standstill still prayers. Those are scary prayers to pray by yourself. And one of the beautiful ministries we have here at Northridge is we have a prayer team at every one of our locations. And so uh, all you have to do as soon as this service ends in about five seconds is just get up from your chair, walk down front, and there's a group of really loving people who would love to help pray your sun stand still prayer so you don't have to pray that alone, right? So we would love for you to join us for that prayer time right after this service. God bless you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you next weekend.